what do the uh, guest towels in, in your uh, bathroom that guests frequently use look like? Do, do you know? <laughs> Let me, I, this is, this literally is the, uh, one of the towels that I use uh, when I shower. And uh, there's like threads coming out of it and the hems have all come uh, undone. And um, I, I, I hate to say this, but I can say this because I'm the only one that uses. It stinks. Even when like you get it out of the laundry, <laughs> it still doesn't smell very good. This is not a very good towel. I don't really like it. This, this is a towel I just last week discovered. This is a towel from our guest bathroom. We never had a guest bathroom before. Uh, and now we do. And guess what? Every hem is intact in this towel. And I got out of the shower and I, and I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> it smells good. And everything. It's, it's, it's really nice. And so I literally went to Andrew and I'm like, I thought this stuff was just like for comedians to talk about, the guest soap and all that kind of stuff. It's real. And I didn't know that. And apparently um, guests are more important than me. Anyway, um, <laughs> so I have, I have two of these oldish brown unraveling towels which get used all the time. But upstairs in the pretty bathroom... Uh, are the nice, fluffy, absorbent, intact towels which get used very, very infrequently. And uh, I don't, thank you, I was thinking about tripping on that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but that's life, right? I mean, I mean that's, that's life. We're used to that. We're used to giving our best to other people. We set out the best towels. We make sure the soap dispenser is full in the guest bath. We, we use our best voices on the phone, right? You ever been in an argument with somebody in your family and you're angry and you're kind of going back and forth and the phone rings and you pick it up and you go, hello. And you're so, like, we give the best of ourselves, the best stuff to other people. We, we clean out the car when we know somebody new is going to be riding with us. We give our guests the best parking spaces, the best seats, the best snacks. We're, we're used to giving the best that we have to others. And, and I was thinking about this, that this week, this idea that we've been going through in, in this lemons and the struggles and the troubles and the stuff that comes into our life. And, and I thought, what if we treated um, the lemon kind of stuff in our life the way that we treat the guest towels in the, in the bathroom? What if we thought about this stuff that comes to us the stuff in our lemons, what if we thought about those things as a way to give the best of ourselves to others? The lemons that come into our lives, what if we looked at that and like, okay, I'm going to take this bad situation and I'm going to find a way to, to give my best out of this bad situation to somebody else. I think that's exactly what Jesus did. He took a whole bunch of ugliness and then he gave the best of himself to others. He was tired, but he taught. He was hungry, but he healed. He was attacked, but he responded with grace. Over and over again, Jesus didn't just turn the lemons in his life into lemonade. He helped others deal with their lemons as well. The Apostle Paul, 
he tried to follow that example. And I think he did a pretty good job. The church in the city of Philippi was a a Roman uh, colony. It was the the easternmost Roman colony at the time, was facing opposition. They were going through some pretty severe financial struggles. And we're not told exactly what they are, but Paul talks about that. He writes about that in his letter to the church in Corinth in in, uh, 2 Corinthians. Philippi was in this Roman colony. Paul most likely planted the church on his second missionary journey. But now Paul is in Rome under house arrest. So he was in Jerusalem, he was accused of some stuff, and he was taken back to Rome to stand trial before Nero. And he was unsure of whether he would be released or he would be executed. He wasn't sure what was going to happen. And it's during that time that Paul writes to the church he planted in Philippi, and what he has to say to them will help us find ways to use our lemons to help others through theirs. So I want to jump this, uh, this morning because i got something special planned at the end. Um, so I want to jump in to uh, Philippians chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 19. So you can follow along in your mobile device or tablet, or you could just follow along on the screen, or you can go to my message notes on the website, reallifecc.us, and follow along there. Here's what Paul writes to the church. I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. You may be familiar with the next verse. He says, for me to live, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what will I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And so convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Whether it's prison, pain, addiction, loss, divorce, poverty, or disability, from our greatest tragedies, God can bring the brightest triumphs when we hold on to him And when we help others. So Paul's first concern when he's writing to the Philippian church, his first concern is his own faith. Paul says, I don't want to be ashamed of of how I might stand trial. But he he says, "I, I hope that I will have courage to stand up for my faith, even when faced with possible death. I don't I don't know about you in your life, but there have been lots of times in my life where I have faced struggles and trouble and oftentimes to my shame as I look back over those years I've been more concerned with my comfort than my convictions I've been more upset about the discomfort that I'm facing in my life than about my faith now I've never been persecuted for my faith to any real degree I've never faced death because of Jesus but I have like you faced difficult times a diagnosis of autism for our son. All four of our children, they were very young, were born with congenital heart defects, which they've miraculously outgrown, by the way. 
We had many years of pretty devastating financial struggles, and through all of that, I often was much more concerned with my comfort than I was with my faith. I was more upset about how I was facing discomfort in my life than what God was trying to do in my life. It's why I asked a lot of why God questions. Maybe you asked some of those as well. God, why am I going through this? Why did you bring this into my life? What have I done to cause this to happen? So as Paul faces his own trial, he prays for and expects the prayers of the church that he would remain faithful and would stand up for Jesus, whether that meant life or death. And that's a good lesson for us, a good lesson for me. When struggles and trouble come into my life, maybe my first thought ought to be, God, whatever is coming, whatever this takes me and whatever happens, would I be faithful to you? Would I stand in that? We talked about that last week, about being faithful through the lemons in our lives. But look at how Paul explains this struggle a little more. Paul knows that if he goes on living, that he intends to continue preaching Jesus, planting and strengthening churches and and writing, and, and that means that he'll carry on the work that Jesus gave him. But if he dies at the hands of Nero, he goes to heaven which he says is, is by far the greatest thing. It's to his gain. And so he's torn between the two. If he continues living, he can continue being a blessing to those that God has called him to minister to. But if he goes to heaven, he's going to be with his Savior. So he goes, I, I don't know which is best. A one's best for you, one's best for me. I don't know which to pick. So up to this point, Paul has faced some pretty terrible situations. If you want to read about some of the lemons that came into Paul's life, you can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and starting in verse 25, he gives this big list of all the things that that have happened to him since he's been following Jesus. He was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was stoned with, with real rocks, he was lost at sea, he was constantly hounded by haters, he was in danger, he said, wherever he went. So he knows what's coming, right? If he continues to live... He's kind of in prison. He's under house arrest right now. He doesn't have the freedom to do whatever he wants to, but he knows this is going to continue. And if I continue to live, I can be a blessing to others, and I can be a blessing to the church, but I'm probably going to face some pretty difficult situations. There are probably going to be some more lemons that are going to come into my life. But there's a tipping point for Paul in verse 24. He says this, it's more necessary for you, that I remain alive. That's an interesting way to look at it, right? He says, it's, 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 not, it's to my benefit if I die and I go to be with Jesus, but it's more necessary for you that I remain alive. Paul is willing to pray that he would stay alive, not because it's what he wants, but because he knows it will be best for others. His life as a follower of Jesus means more to people, or more people will hear about Jesus, more people will be immersed, more churches will be planted, more letters written, more bodies healed, more hope restored. If he lives, he says, I'm going to continue to follow God, I'm going to continue my faith journey, and I'm going to continue to help people find Jesus. 
He even goes on to say then that I know God will keep me alive for your progress and joy in the faith. And I wonder, can we even grasp what Paul is saying? He's in house arrest, and for 30 years about, he's experienced torture and pain and trouble and struggle. He was killed at least once that we know of because of his faith in Jesus. And yet he says, I'm willing to continue all of that and more. I'm willing to continue to deal with the lemons that come into my life, not because it's going to profit me, but because of what it will produce in others. That's a big step, right? That's a big shift in our lives. We're normally taught to do what's best for us, to consider what's best for us in our life, not what's going to be best for somebody else, especially if that means trouble for me. Like all of us are probably willing to do something good for somebody else as long as we can see that there's kind of a benefit for us. Like, yes, I'll come help you um, in part because I know that if I need help later, you're kind of obligated to come help me, right? We kind of live our life like that. We, we want to be like altruistic and just do whatever and help other people. But really in the back of our minds, there's this idea that, that well, if I'm going to help, but then I might get this thing. And, and maybe we're not even like, this person is going to repay me, but, but I know God's going to repay me, right? If I, if I help this old lady across the street, God's going to bless me, right? We have this real karma kind of idea where God is concerned. Like if we do good, God does good to us, and that's the way it works. And then yet we look at Paul's life and we go, Paul did good, a lot of good, and yet all of these horrible things happened to him. How does that karma thing work for Paul? It doesn't, because karma's a made-up thing, if you didn't know that. Um, it doesn't work that way, right? It doesn't work this way that we just do this good thing and we get this good. It doesn't work. So Paul like has this whole shift. And he says, I'm willing to continue to undergo these terrible things, not because of there'd be some profit for me, but because of what it's going to produce in others. So let me make this um, personal for just a sec. Think about the stuff that we deal with in our lives in this way. The faith with which we face our lemons will become the faith by which others face their own. Let that sink in just a second. How I face the lemons in my own life and how I deal with those through my faith in Jesus will become the faith that others may face their own lemons with. So people see the way we as believers deal with the struggles and the trouble and trials in our lives. And when they see the way we go through that stuff, they go, there's something different about that. Like those things don't get you down or they don't keep you down anyway. And, and there's something different about the way you handle that. And how can you have peace and joy in the midst of these struggles? There's something different about you. What is it? And we get to tell them. But, but see, if, if we handle struggles and lemons and difficulties in our lives like everybody else, if we let them destroy us, if we let it steal our faith, we let it keep us down, then there's no faith to pass on to anybody else. There's no opportunity for somebody else to see how we've gone through that and then find the faith in Jesus that they need to face their own struggles. The faith with which we face our lemons 
can become the faith by which others face their own. During times of struggle and trouble, it's easy to focus only on ourselves. What I'm going through, what I'm dealing with, what I have to face. When bad things happen, it's easy to ask God, why is this happening to me? But what if we could ask some different questions of God? What if we could ask questions of God like this? God, what do you want me to learn through this? How would that change our perspective when, when, we, when something happens? You get up in the morning and you go outside and there's a flat tire on your car and you got to go to work. God, is there anything that I need to learn through this? Maybe another question we could ask is this. God, how would you have me behave? I know how I, know how I might want to behave in this situation. I know how I might want to respond to this person who's getting at me or cutting me off in traffic. But how would you have me behave in this situation. This one really focuses on other people. What if we ask, God, is there someone you want me to help? Now, oftentimes when we're in those situations, we're like, God, help me, right? God, fix my problem. God, why did you let this happen? God, get involved. God, please show up. And what if we said, God, is there somebody else that you want me to help? Even when I feel like I'm the one that needs help. See, by turning the focus from our fight to our faith, from our obstacles to others, we're actually acting more like Jesus. Jesus who endured the worst kinds of hardships and yet was still willing to help others. And when we use the lemons in our lives to help others, we see the brightest triumphs come out of the greatest tragedies. Long, long time ago, I went to high school in Eagle Point, Oregon. Now, I went there through my junior year, pretty much, of high school, and there was a, a young uh, lady there I went to high school with named Angie. And, and honestly, I can't remember a single conversation I ever had with her. <laughs> uh, I know it's hard to believe now, but I was not a super popular kid in high school. Uh, and so there were a lot of kids, that, you know, I just didn't, they, she was in my class, but I didn't really associate with her too much. But I am friends with her and lots of other people from high school on Facebook. And about a year ago, she went through a pretty devastating tragedy. And as she went through that, and as I kind of saw the things that she posted on Facebook, I, I knew that she was a believer, but tragedy, lemons have a way of bringing out the worst in us, right? So I followed this struggle that she had, this terrible struggle that she's had to live through over the last year, a struggle that every parent feels or fears. And uh, I reached out to her and asked her if he would share a little bit of that story with you. And so we're going to hear from her. Hey guys, I'm Angie, and I'm super excited to be able to share part of my story and my journey over this last year. A little bit about me. I live in Southern Oregon. I have five children and four grandchildren, and I work full-time in a chiropractic office. Some of my favorite things are happy hour and coffee dates, 
Bible study, spending time with my family and friends, traveling, and pouring my heart into the You Are Lovely project. I think being a mom is absolutely one of the most rewarding and hardest things that I've ever done. Nothing quite prepared me for the hard I was about to face on June 10th of last year. My oldest son, Tyler, died of a drug overdose. He was 27 years old. I will never forget the devastation and heartache and trauma of getting the news that night, not only for me, but for my whole family and for everyone who loved Tyler. I remember sitting out on the porch that night with my sister and just sobbing because I knew that God had given me a word for Tyler when he was younger and now he was dead and he wasn't here and how could that be? And I felt sad and angry and confused and I simply didn't understand. I remember my sister telling me that it made no sense right now, but that one day God was gonna give me beauty for ashes. And I held on to that, just like I had held on to his promise when my son was a little boy. I remember the day that I picked up Tyler's ashes and I remember sitting with him, overwhelmed with the fact that my whole entire child was in this box and he no longer physically existed here on earth. And I had all these thoughts of what people would say or what people would think. And would they say he deserved this? Would they call him an addict? Would they say he's a loser? Did, would they say that he deserved this? And it made my heart sick with sorrow. And I thought there's absolutely no way I'm gonna let people think this of my child or let him die in vain. I had no thought in that moment of what God was about to do through the death of my son. As the days and weeks passed by, I simply poured my heart out into writing on social media. I was so caught up in all my thoughts and feelings and emotions, and I simply didn't know what to do with them. And so I wrote. And the feedback and the messages and the responses and the love and the encouragement that I got was overwhelming. And there was this little voice inside of me that just knew that I had to do something. I had to step up and step out in faith and do something to honor my child, to speak truth over people, to bring light to circumstances and situations where people are caught up in addiction, where they're struggling with mental health, where they're trapped in their depression, where they're struggling with suicidal thoughts. I thought the chaos is madness in our society and people are dying tragically. We definitely live in a lost and fallen world, but God is so much bigger than all of that. I remember telling a friend that 
God is doing exactly what he said he would do. It just doesn't look anything like I thought it was going to look. This wasn't the plan. And he reminded me that God doesn't have a plan for our lives. We have a plan for our lives. We have many plans. God has a purpose, and his purpose will always come to happen. And that is exactly what God has been doing through the death of Tyler. God is using my son to touch the lives of boys, boys and men and women and children. And it's been the most incredible, beautiful journey that I've been on. A couple days after Tyler died, I had posted a song by Sean McDonald called Lovely. It was always my song for Tyler. It made so much sense back then. And even after his death, the lyrics make so much sense now. God's love for us is incredible and beautiful and perfect. My niece had made these signs to sell so that I could afford to take time off of work when my son had passed away and they just sold like crazy. Um, when I finally had the courage to actually do something with my thoughts and my feelings and my writings and my emotions, I decided to do a blog and the You Are Lovely project was created. Um, the name of the title of it is the You Are Lovely project and my motto or my go-to is don't believe the lie. Um, I believe the lies that we're trapped in, the lies of the enemy, are our hugest downfall and culprit to a fallen world. We have people believing things that are just not true because he's just that good, but he's not God. And God can take any situation, any circumstance, any person, any life, and he can turn it around for his glory. And that is what the You Are Lovely Project is all about. It's about speaking truth and speaking life. It's about telling stories, putting a face to people's names so that there's a better understanding of who they are and what they're walking through and what brought them there. And then the freedoms that are setting them free. God has been absolutely faithful through this journey. He has opened doors to allow me to hear story after story of people's circumstances and their recovery in it. And just that outcry of thankfulness of the reminders that I give daily just reminding people who they are and to whom they belong and what their purpose is and who they were created to be. I believe the key is community and love. Without it, we're going to fall apart. And with it, we can break stigmas, we can overcome obstacles, and we can break free from the chains that are binding us. I had the opportunity in April to share at a recovery center, to be able to share my son's story and what my hope is for everyone that is struggling. 
I think the more that we speak up and we tell our stories and we speak truth and we shed light and we break stigmas, the more people are going to realize that they're not alone, that they are capable, that they can do this, that they can overcome, that they are worth more than what the lies are telling them. I think that lives are going to be radically changed when we start believing the truths of who God says we are, who he created us to be, and that no matter what we've done or where we've been or who we are, there is such perfect freedom in Christ. And that is my hope, is that people would start believing truths and shedding the lies and be set free. My hope for the You Are Lovely project is to tell people's stories. I want to put a face to people's names and I want people to hear, hear what they have to say. I want them to know where they've been and what they've been through and what they need to be free from where they're at. I want to, um, hopefully one day, I would love to be able to sell merchandise and have all that money go to um, helping someone that needs to get into a treatment center, who needs counseling, who needs help, but can't afford to do that. I believe God has big things in store for the You Are Lovely Project today. I'm just simply walking in obedience to what he's called me to do. And I'm so excited to see where this project leads and all the doors that he opens for people to be set free. I've already had numerous people come to me and just tell me their heart and tell me their story, tell me what they've been through, and just the freedom to know that they're loved and not judged and actually cared for has just given them the courage to fight, to fight for a better life, to fight for a better way. And that is my hope, is that God would just use me and use this project and use my son's story to set people free. God is like so good and so kind and so patient and loving and through our greatest tragedies, our greatest circumstances, he can move mountains and he can make miracles happen because his will for us is always in perfect love. I'm literally in awe of who God is and all the ways that he works. And while I will always hate what happened to my son. I will always grieve the loss of his life. I know that God is working all things together for good, and it looks nothing like I thought that it would look, but it's exactly how God intended it to be. And there's nothing in me that doubts that my son is with the Lord. And he is set free from everything that held him back here in this life. And he is using my son to touch the lives of boys 
and women and children and you and me. And it's incredible and beautiful. And it's the very best thing that God has ever gifted me is to walk this path and to honor him and to bring glory to his name through the ugliest of situations and circumstances that are so harshly judged in society. But it's time for a change. It's time for a difference. It's time for stigmas to be broken and for lies to be exposed and for people to be set free. And that is my heart and my hope for the You Are Lovely Project. God is so good, you guys. He's so faithful. If anything could have ever robbed me of my faith, it would be the death of one of my children. And it just strengthened it. It just caused me to hold on and to trust and to believe that no matter what I can see or what I think or what I feel, God's truth is so much more powerful than that. And so I cling to him and I trust him and I just love him every day knowing that all things work together for good for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I just praise him and give him all the glory in my deepest sorrow and my greatest heartache. I know that he is still God and he is still good and he is moving mountains and doing good things. I hope you're encouraged by my story. I hope that whatever you're struggling with today, that you would be set free. I hope that you would just lay it at the cross, that you would trust Jesus with everything that's within you and know that he is faithful to work it for good. I pray that you would just know him on a deeper level and just be encouraged by what his word has to say for our lives. I hope you'll follow me on Facebook or Instagram. My page is the You Are Lovely Project, and I know God is going to move powerfully in it. Thanks for hearing my story, and if you're already following along, I couldn't do it without you. Thank you. Let me uh, share a few things she said, um, just because I think they're good. She was talking to a friend and said, God is doing exactly what he said he would do. It just doesn't look anything like I thought it was going to look. This wasn't the plan. And then she said, he reminded me that God doesn't have a plan for our lives. We have plans for our lives, lots of plans. God has a purpose, and his purpose will always come to happen. I really like that. Uh, she also said, we have people believing things that are just not true because Satan is just that good, but he's not God. God can take any situation, any circumstance, any person, any life, any lemon, I'll add, and he can turn it around for his glory. She said, through our greatest tragedies, he can move mountains and make miracles happen. Through our greatest tragedies, God can bring the brightest triumphs. Through Angie's lemons, she's helping so many others face their own lemons and turn them into lemonade. She's being Jesus, and you can too. 
every time you let God use the lemons in your life to help others face theirs. You have a story. You have struggles. You've faced trouble. There are going to be challenges in your life. Instead of running from them, what if we repurpose them for God's glory and others' good? This week, I want you to do one thing. One thing. Share your story. Tell your story to somebody else. Tell how God gave you strength to face your struggles when you didn't have any strength left. Tell someone how God used your trouble to bring some triumph into your life, financial or relational or personal or emotional or physical. Be honest about your struggles, your trouble, your lack of faith and your fear. And then make sure that God gets the glory for getting you here. Wherever here happens to be that day. I think there's an idea in church um, that we have to have it all together. That as Christians, we've got to have life all put together and we've got to present this like perfect life and perfect situation to the outside world. Now I think that does exactly the opposite of what we intend it to do. We, we hope that our perfect lives would inspire other people to live perfectly, but it doesn't. It just discourages them. And they go, I'll never be able to live like that. And the truth is, we're not able to live like that either. It's fake. We want to have this, if you're a churchy person, we we want to have this great testimony where we can say, here's where we were. It was this terrible situation, and yet God brought us out of that. And now everything is put together in our life, and everything is ordered, and everything the way it's supposed to be. But not everybody has a testimony like that. But we've all got a story. And most of the time, our stories are up and down. It's not, this is the way I was and this is the way I am. It's, this is the way I am. And God's working in the middle of all of that to help me look more like Jesus every day. This series has really touched on all three of our core values as a church. Our desire to be real and relational and relevant. We could be relevant with other people because everybody is going through something. When we share our story, we can be confident that everybody we share that with has struggled, is struggling, or will struggle with something similar to what we've dealt with. Our story is relational as well because everybody's going through something that involves other people. We never go through those struggles alone. They always affect others. And I think what people want to see through our stories is that we're real people. And because we're real people with with real problems and real struggles, other people can have real hope in a real God who can turn their tragedy into a triumph. This is not the time to be a fake follower, you know, and you, again, pretend your life is all put together so people will want to follow your Jesus. People need to see something real, something they can relate to someone to walk through it with him. You can be Jesus to others, just like Paul was, and just like Angie is.
by taking your lemons and helping somebody else make lemonade. Let me end with a favorite thing Angie said. It's the best quote, I think, and the most heartbreaking. The greatest thing that God's gifted me is to bring glory to His name through the ugliest of situations. That's what it means to turn lemons into lemonade. And we can only do that with Jesus.